Young ones are free to bail. Do another one? Nope, I'm done. <laughs> uh, no, I couldn't find them. Am I out there? I'm on. Chady check. Chady, chady check. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Deuteronomy. Yeah, I, they're going to fall off the back of my head, side of my head. i got to learn to wear glasses. I'm... I'm fighting it. My wife says I'm not allowed to put them on the end of my nose, but she's not here. So I put them on the end of my nose. I can see you and I can read. I'm sorry if I look ridiculous. If you don't want to look at me, look at your Bible. (laughs) We're going to find ourselves in Deuteronomy chapter 12, maybe chapter 12 and 13 tonight. We'll see. But as we take a look, remember... As we're going through the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to the children of Israel. It's uh, basically, depending on whose outline you go by, three or four sermons that Moses spoke that the scribes wrote down. We find ourselves in the middle of one of the long ones. This is going to run all the way to around chapter 26, chapter 27. So as we work our way through, uh, we encourage you guys to, to keep in mind as we look. After everything that Moses had gone through and everything that Moses had faced, he has now come to the point where he wants to give his final exhortation to the people. Here's my final exhortation, guys. If you want to go on with the Lord and have success, and you want to enjoy everything that God has for you, Moses has these things to say. What we see is the children of Israel crossing into the promised land, which for you and I is a picture of our walk with the Lord and entering into a victorious Christian life. That's what the Jordan River is. Jordan River, crossing over the Jordan doesn't speak of getting to heaven. Crossing over the Jordan speaks of going on with the Lord, following him, having everything that he has for us. The same pitfalls that we're going to read about in Deuteronomy, the same struggles that they have are struggles that we are going to go through today. The same mindset that we have when we look at different things in regard to our relationship with the Lord or with the church are the same things that we're going to struggle with ourselves. So as we take a look, bear that in mind, as Moses is laying these things out for the children of Israel, the context is them, but it definitely will find application with you and I. Chapter 12, Deuteronomy, verse 1. These are the statutes and judgments... Here, I'll actually know what I'm saying now. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on earth. Now, as we look at chapter 12, his focus is going to be don't compromise. 
His focus is going to be, listen, there's a lot of things that you can do, a lot of things that that you can face, but you need to realize, you need to understand that God calls us to be set apart and to walk with him and to be less concerned with how that affects everyone else around us and more concerned with how does God look at that? How does God see it? What does God think about what I'm doing? What does God think about the, the life I'm living, the focus of my life? That that would be our focus. And, and really, that's what Moses is saying to them here. Listen, observe the statutes. Now, last week we went over them. Don't get all crazy like I used to and think, oh, 613 commandments, and I can't even hardly remember the Ten Commandments. How am I going to keep all the statutes? You remember the statutes from last week? Love the Lord your God. Serve Him. Walk with Him. And cling to Him. That's what God says. Those, that's what I want from you. Those are the things that I want. So when he says, listen, keep my commandments, this is his focus. Love me, walk with me, serve me, cling to me. That's what God's looking for. That's that's what he's speaking of here. And he's letting them know. Remember, when they went into the promised land, what had the Canaanites done that was wrong? The Bible tells the Canaanites turned their back on the Lord for 400 years and never repented. That they served all kind of crazy false gods that they even offered their children as sacrifices to these gods. God gave them 400 years to repent. They didn't. God said in the word, he said, I own the land. I'll decide who lives there. And they're leaving. And you're coming. Just like I have a house in California, and if something was to happen with my renters, I have the right as the owner of that house to say, you're out. And you're in. We don't think twice about that. When God says, I own the land, it's my land. It's my land. Think about Jerusalem for a minute. If you've ever been there, let me just tell you, there is nothing great about Jerusalem. Unless you're a big fan of rocks. There's a lot of rocks. There's a lot of dirt. There's not a lot of grass. In fact, I don't remember seeing very much grass at all. I don't think I saw very many trees over on the Mount of Olives, but not in Jerusalem. Why does everybody want it so bad? The Muslims want it. The Catholics want it. The Christians want it. The, the, anybody around the area, why do they want it? Because it's God's. It's God's. When you think about the nation of Israel, there's a, a section of Scripture, and the Scripture declares to us, near, uh, I think the Scripture goes like this, near Shiloh, or it might be Bethel, uh, where I have written my name. Take a satellite picture of Israel and look at right between Bethel and Shiloh. And in the satellite photo, I have it hanging in my office right now, you will see the Yahweh in the mountains. Not added in there, not written in there, but a place where on the very satellite image of the nation of Israel, the name of God is written. God says it's mine. That's mine. I put my name there. The Bible says it. The Lord wrote his name in that place. Satellite image confirms it. He wrote his name. It's his land. He says in verse 2, You will utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you will dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree, and you will destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. And you will cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. 
You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Listen, you hear what he's saying. I don't want you to start making compromise with the worship that's already there. Because the worship that's already there is all screwed up. So I want you to burn it all. Wipe it all out. Destroy every remembrance of it so that you can just focus on me. No compromise. Don't make peace with all the things that, that are going to want to turn your eyes away from me. The nation of Israel did not obey this command of Moses. They didn't wipe it all out. It was still there at the time of Manasseh. It was still there at the time of Solomon. It was still there at the time of Josiah. Uh, it was still there all the way to the Babylonian captivity. That's a long time. Uh, that's all the way through the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They still had all those high places. God said, "Wipe them out." Listen, if we <clears throat> allow things in our life that you and I know are going to pull us away from loving the Lord, from serving the Lord, from clinging to the Lord, then we're going to fall away just like they did. We're going to fall away to whatever that is. Now, listen, there's a problem when the church builds a list and says, here's the list, and if you stay away from all these things, that's what's going to cause you to fall. Because that list is kind of arbitrary. I know people who cannot even look at a, at a glass of beer without seriously coming close to blowing everything for that glass. I know other guys it's no problem for the Bible lays out for us, and Paul tells us, don't let your liberty cause a brother to stumble. But at the same time, we don't want to build a list that says, well, if you stay away from, from drugs and alcohol, if you stay away from all these things, then, you, then you're going to be okay. Because that's not necessarily true. There's a lot of things. The Bible says, cast aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares you, and run with endurance the race that is set before you. You notice in the, in the New Testament, he calls things weights, right? Anything that holds you back from loving God, serving God, clinging to God. Anything that keeps you from having that relationship. Here, Moses is saying to these kids that are getting ready to go into the promised land, guys, when you get there, wipe out everything that's going to cause you to fall. Everything that's going to cause you to stumble. Wipe it out so that it's not there. But the reality is they tried to live in it. They tried to live with it. Not, we have to live in this world, but I don't have to live in those things. They did. They did, and it caused them to stumble, and it caused them to fall. Here the Lord says, listen, guys, I want you to wipe it all out. I want you to think about something. 1968, Israel is, is <clears throat> fighting for... For their independence, a six-day war, they utterly obliterate all their enemies, and they end up on top of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. For the first time since 70 A.D., they controlled the Temple Mount. And they just said, well, we just want there to be peace, guys. So we're going to give it back to you. You know who controls the Temple Mount today? The Muslims control the Temple Mount in the middle of Israel. 
They control it. It's their third most holy site. But the Moshe Diane, he said, I would rather have peace than have that piece of property. You know how that compromise worked out for him? Not so good, right? Lord said, wipe out every altar, every remembrance, every name. Get rid of it all. In a lot of ways, there's things in our life that we ought to take a look at in the same way. I'm trying to make peace. I'm trying to make compromise. I'm trying to make my life work out. And we're wondering why I'm not experiencing everything that God has for me. I'm wondering why I'm struggling to pray and I'm struggling to go to church and I'm struggling in my relationship and loving the Lord. And gosh, I don't understand why I feel so dry. But at the same time, do we have things around us? Do we have things with us that are bringing to our remembrance or causing things to occur in our life that make us turn our eyes away from the Lord? Things that want to pull us away from him. We want to have a focus that says, listen, I want to make my life a sanctuary to God. So that the things around me are going to draw me closer to him. Cast aside every weight. And the sin that so easily ensnares you. And run with endurance the race that's set before you. We have need of endurance. It's not easy. The Lord didn't say this walk of life would be a sprint, did he? He said, run with endurance the race that is before you. So he's telling them to burn all these things down. Get rid of them all. But in verse 5, but you will seek the place which the Lord your God chooses of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. And there you will go. He says, listen, I don't want you to go and worship me like everybody else worships me. Or like everybody else worships their gods. I want you to worship me my way. In the John chapter 4, Jesus goes to Samaria and he, he meets this woman at the well. You guys remember the story, right? And he tells her all these things. But remember one of the questions she, she has for him? She says, you know, we say that you can worship God here in this mountain. You say, speaking of the Jews, that we should worship in Jerusalem. Which one's the right way? You remember what Jesus' answer was? God seeks those who will worship him in spirit. God's not at a place. He's a person who will worship him in spirit and in truth. But how does God want worship? He wants it his way. Nowhere in here does he say, now if you see how these other people are doing worship, we want you to do it that way. We want you to, to just take, because what would normally happen when a people was conquered is you would take the name off of that temple, because that's a big temple, nice temple they built there. And so you're going to take the name off of that temple, and you can put the name of your God on that temple, and that's going to become his temple. God says, don't do that. Wipe it out, and you build my house where I tell you to build it. And you go there to worship. You go to my place. Come to me. Well, look what else he has to say. He says, There you shall take your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flock. So he says, Listen, all your tithes, all your offerings go where? They go to the storehouse. For the nation of Israel, it was all the temple. That's where the tithes from the children of Israel went. That's where they were to go. Not where they wanted it to go. Not where they wanted to, to do. They, the tithes went to the Lord at the Lord's house. Uh, it's going to be Shiloh. 
Then from Shiloh, it's going to move to Nob. From Nob, it's going to move to Gibeon. And then it's going to be built in Jerusalem. Each one of those places where the tabernacle stopped, where the tabernacle set, God's people came to worship that place. God's house. Not my own way, not this other altar, not this other temple, not this other place. Not a hundred different ways that I can come to the Lord. How many ways is there to the Lord? Interesting, isn't it? One place you're going to come. One place. And that one place that they were going to come, the tabernacle, who does it picture? Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? That one place through which they would come and worship. Through later on, God would say, you'll worship me in spirit and truth. You're going to come to me for worship, but for now, you're going to go to the tabernacle. And the tabernacle, every instrument, every part of the tabernacle pointed to Jesus Christ. The opening to the tabernacle was on the east, so that anybody who entered into the tabernacle had to walk through a certain tribe. Remember what tribe it was? Tribe of Judah. Where did Messiah come from? Tribe of Judah. How many doors was there going into the tabernacle? Jesus said, I am the... Way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The same opening, the material used for the opening on the linen fence was used for the door into the tabernacle, was used for the veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. All the same. All the same. All speaking of that one person, Jesus Christ. When we walked into the holy place, you remember? To the right was the table of showbread. Where the, where the bread of his presence was. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. To the left was this giant menorah out of hammered gold. In fact, today, they build the menorah out of molded gold. You know, they built all the stuff for the temple. When I was in Israel, we got a chance to see the menorah. The menorah is molded. So I asked the question. What, the Bible says it should be of hammered gold. And they said, we can't do it. So what do you mean you can't do it? Well, we tried to hammer the gold and fold it and hammer it and fold it. And it's too weak. And the, the way the Bible talks about it being built, the, the menorah won't stand. It, the, the arms want to hang down. Do you know that the scripture says that God gifted a craftsman to make the menorah? He gave him wisdom and knowledge on how to do it. Apparently, the guys today just can't do what he did back then. But the menorah was the only form of light within the tabernacle. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. When you walk straight back, you come to the the golden censer, the place where prayers were offered. The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to do what? Make intercession for us, pray for us. We go through the Holy of Holies and we come to, first, the Ark of the Covenant, which is just a box. And what's in that box? In that box is the Ten Commandments, the, a bowl of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, at least for a time. And so it speaks of all of Israel's failure, their failure to keep the law, their failure to trust in God's provision, and their failure to desire to follow God and not rebel. Each one of those implements points to one of those things, their failure. What is it housed in? A box of acacia wood. Why is that important? What was the cross made out of? Acacia wood. It points to the crucifixion. 
What else does it point to? Wood points to humanity, but what was it overlaid with? Gold, which speaks of deity. Humanity and deity together. Inside of this is held all the failure of man. And over the top went what? The mercy seat. The mercy seat. In fact, the word for mercy seat is applied to Jesus Christ in the scripture. That he is our mercy seat. The part which covered all of man's failures and made them right with God. Everything in the tabernacle points to Jesus Christ. Everything in the tabernacle speaks of him. So they were to go to one place and worship one way and focus on one person, which is going, we're going to see is the Lord Jesus Christ throughout Scripture. So it's important that we understand God wants our worship to be in spirit and in truth. Isn't that what Jesus said in John chapter 4? He wants us to worship his way. And he wants us to realize that, folks, worship isn't something that we receive. Everybody understands that, right? I came across a, a quote of Spurgeon. I like Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, Singing should be congregational, but it should never be performed for the credit of the congregation. Such remarkable singing. The place is quite renowned for its musical performance. This is poor achievement. Our singing should be such that God hears it with pleasure. Singing in which there is not so much as art as a heart. Not so much musical sound as spiritual emotion. Remember, worship is not something we receive. Often we hear and we say things. Yeah, you know, I just didn't really like worship today. Sorry, it wasn't for you. When we think about worship, we have got to get focused in our mind. For one thing, our lives are to be an act of worship, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable act of worship. Our lives are to be worshiped. But when we come together corporately and we worship, who's it for? It's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. I remember one time sharing with somebody, I says, yeah, you know, in worship, you can play a guitar solo and that can be worshipful. And they're like, what? Yeah, you know, the guitar solo is not for the guitarist. What did David say with his harp? Play skillfully on the harp. How? Unto the Lord. It's all about what's the reason for it. What's the purpose of coming? Why do we stand and sing? Because we need to kill extra time? Do you really think I couldn't fill an hour and a half? <laughs> I could do it tonight. Watch. The, the point is, God wants us to come to his place, his way, and worship is about who? Him. Not me. Not me. Now... In that, we want to try to provide worship free of distraction so that everyone can have that opportunity to just go before the Lord in worship. So our focus corporately is that we don't have a distraction, that our focus is providing as many people as possible the opportunity. And so some people feel free to do one thing or another in their own personal worship. That's great. Worship worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. But when we come together corporately, we want it to be about Him. And we want it to be free of distraction, so we're not making ourselves the center of, of attraction, but we're making the Lord 
the center of attraction. That's what we want, and that's what he's laying out for them here. Guys, don't do it their way. Don't do it how they do it. Don't do it with other focuses. Keep it all about me, one place, one way. This is important that we understand. And there he says in verse 7, You will eat before the Lord, and you will rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Listen to this. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. See, at the time, the nation of Israel worshipped God in whatever way they thought they would worship God. That phrase is important to grasp. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We hear that in another book in the Bible. Anybody know where? Judges. What's the book of Judges known for? Bad. Bad time. Book of Judges begins, well, actually it doesn't begin, but over and over it, it, it emphasizes the same point. In those days there was no king in Israel, and what happened? Every man did what? Was right in his own eyes. What do you mean there was no king in Israel? Who was supposed to be the king in Israel before there was a king? God. Who's the king of your life? Because if God's not the king of your life, then you are a man or woman doing what's right in their own eyes. Well, this is how I think. How many, I've heard a hundred times guys tell me, you know, Jackie, I, you know, I, I love the Lord, and, but you know what, I, I, just, uh, I just can't get into the church thing. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Well, that's cool, bro, but the Bible says not to do what's right in your own eyes, to do what's right in God's eyes. And God says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day is the day of Jesus Christ's return. So what's the point? The point is that we come together because when we come together, we strengthen one another. It's not what I receive. It's about what I can give. For God so loved the world that he gave. Aren't we supposed to do the same thing? That we give. We come together corporately, not so much to receive, although hopefully we are receiving, but that we would give. We look for an opportunity to give that hug to someone who needs a hug, to give some love to someone who needs some love, to give assistance, to help guide, to help direct. That's why we come together corporately, to be edified, to edify the body of Christ. And so the same is true here. Hey, God... Wants us to do what's right according to what his word says, not according to what we believe. Well, I think, well, that's not important what you think. What's important is what does the word say, right? What does the word say? Well, I think the word says, a lot of Bible studies start that way. What do you think it says? When I was in Bible college, if we said that phrase, what do you think it says? A professor hits you in the head with a bat. He would say, what do you mean? What do you think it says? You know that the Bible is written in very specific language and it only says one thing. Now, different people might think it says something else, but the Bible only says one thing. It's our job to become expositors of the word of God and to be able to see and understand the mysteries locked within the word of God that we can rightly divide the word of truth. Not what you think. What does it say? Study to show yourself approved, the workman of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
We want to know, what's God's word? What does God say? What does God have for us? For as yet, you have not come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. You know, that's a very true statement for all of us. Have you come into the fullness of everything that God has for you? I haven't. I haven't, but I, I never want to be afraid of it. I want more. I want more of the Lord. I want more understanding. I want more of what God has. I want more of what Jesus promised when he said, I come to give you life and life how? More abundantly. I come to give you that abundant life. I want to experience that. We have not yet come to the rest in that inheritance. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus Christ is our rest. So in, in the book of Galatians, Paul says that in Christ, we have everything that we need, right? In the book of Ephesians, he says, in Christ, we have everything that we need. In fact, in just about every book Paul writes, he says, in Christ, we have everything that we need. We have that rest in Christ. Our inheritance is in Christ. Our adoption is in Christ. So we want to learn more and more. What does it mean to be in Christ? I want to be in, found in Christ. I want to stand in him. I want to cast aside all those things that are going to keep me outside. And I want to, with endurance, seek to be found in Christ. Personally, what does that mean? Listen, we got to step away from religiosity that says you're in Christ if you go to catechism. You're in Christ if you've been baptized. You're in Christ if you do this, that's this. Those are all, I'm not saying any of those things are bad things. What I'm saying is... You need to seek the Lord for what it is for you to be in Christ. What do you need to be doing? There was a time in my life God called me to some very specific things. Me, myself. I'm not going to preach that if you follow what I'm doing, you're going to be in Christ. Your walk with Christ is your walk with Christ. You need to seek him. It's a personal relationship, right? It's a personal relationship. People have personal convictions. That enable them to be in a place with the Lord that someone else may not enjoy. The, the issue isn't what is your personal conviction. The issue is, are you presenting yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice? Are you saying, God, what is it for, what do you want me to do? What do I need to, where are the altars in my life I need to burn? Where are the high places that I allow to remain in my life that I need to tear down? Everybody wants to tell someone else where their high places are. Let God do that work in you. It's a personal relationship with God. It's a personal relationship with God. Some things are cut and dry. Folks, the word says it. We should do it. But uh, not everything is that cut and dry. We want to seek the Lord, seek his direction, seek his touch. Be open to what God's saying and have everything that God has for us. Now, when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety... Then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heath offerings of your hand, and all of your choice offerings, which you vow to the Lord. And look at verse 12, and you shall what? Huh. By the way, just in case you're wondering, that is a command. Uh, and if you wonder whether or not it's repeated in the New Testament, yes. It is repeated in 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It says what? The shortest verse in the Bible, in the Greek, just in case you're in Bible trivia, is 1 Thessalonians 5.16, which says, rejoice always. 
In English, Jesus wept is shortest. In Greek, rejoice always is shortest. You never know when that might come up in a trivia game that you get a chance to amaze your friends. You shall rejoice, a commandment, rejoicing before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters and your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gate, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Now, I'm going to tell you something that we did, that I pull from the scripture when it lays out things like this. When my kids were growing up, I never asked them, nor did I ask Cole today. Um, do you want to go to church, bro? What do you think? I don't really care if he wants to go. We, this is what our family does. This is where we go. This is what we do. You don't want to be in the family anymore? I suppose that's an option. But for now, you're in the family. We go to church. But it's, it's not that I have to even say that. This is what we do. This is where we go. This is how it is. When my kids were in uh, Joshua Springs, they went through Christian school their whole life. And a lot of parents would come to me and say, oh, man, my kids are having a struggle. They all want to go to the high school. And they would oftentimes give their kids a choice. Well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to this school? Do you want to go to that school? I, I don't understand that. I don't get it. I'm not going to allow uh, uh, someone that I consider to be a child to make a decision that's going to affect their life one way or the other on their, their own. What do you think you should do? Uh, my kids never asked me, Dad, I want to go to the high school. I remember asking them, Cole, did I ask you or JC? Did I ask you why you didn't ask me? I asked one of them, why didn't you ask me, why didn't you ever ask me to go to the high school? And he said, because you wouldn't let me go. Good answer. There was never a question. What does the Bible say? Teach the things of the word of God to your children. Lying down, or sitting up, standing up, lying down. Everything you do, whatever you do, wherever you go, teach. Be about the word. You cannot just be a Sunday morning Christian who goes to church on Sunday morning, lives their life any other way they want to the rest of the week, and then wonder, why did my kids go astray? I don't know. Hey, it's got to be real. If your relationship is real and we're applying those things that God's word says and we're teaching those things to our children, then we at some point in our life, every one of us, myself included, I'm going to take coal and I'm going to give them to the Lord. And I'm just going to pray for him and I'm going to trust the Lord's going to guide and lead him. But at some point I got to take my hands off, right? And I'm going to pray that the Lord knows when that time is, and he tells me when that time is, and there we go. But until that time, I, I am charged by God to guide, direct, and lead my family. Now, there are a lot of men in the world that, doesn't, that don't lead their family. We agree? That doesn't absolve you of responsibility. Good, bad, or ugly, I one day will stand before God and give account for how I took care how I did my family, what I did with them, how I led, how I taught, what I did. Good, bad, not a deal of salvation, but God's going to want to know, what did you do with the responsibility that I gave you? We want to be those who are fulfilling that responsibility. I don't believe that our children need another friend. They got lots of friends. They need parents. 
They need a mom. They need a dad. They need a guide. Someone to point them in the direction that they ought to go and try to help them walk that way. In verse 13, he says, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in any old place that you see. But in the place which the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes, there you will offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. It's funny because the tabernacle was always in what tribe? That was east of Judah. In fact, when they put the tabernacle in one of the tribes, you know what the rest of the tribe said? What's up with that? Why do they get it in theirs? Why don't you put it in ours? You know anything about Jewish people. You go to Israel, they can argue about anything. Uh, you can really understand the, the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. When you go to Israel and spend some time talking to some of the, the Jewish folk over there. It's just part of their makeup. They ended up putting it in Jerusalem. Ultimately, is where it settles. And you know where, what tribe that's in? None of them. It borders Judah and Benjamin. But it's not in either. It's like a D.C. in the United States. Which, which I find to be interesting. But we know that the gate at the city of Jerusalem, that's called the Golden Gate, the gate through which Messiah would come, where Jesus came, faced east. And to the east of Jerusalem is Judah. Huh. Imagine that. It's just a... Over and over and over again, you're going to see those same things, whole truths. We go through the scripture. We're going to see the, the same truths. Hey, I'm going to pick the place. That's where you're going to go to worship. One way, pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything points to him. Listen, he goes on. And however, you can slaughter. Now, remember, at one time, they had to bring all the meat that they ate to the, to the tabernacle. But now here he says, listen, you may slaughter and eat meat within your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given to you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, or the gazelle and the deer alike. There's eating deer in the Bible. I'm never so happy in all my life. I can eat deer. The Bible says I can eat deer. A gazelle too. I don't know what a gazelle is. I suppose it's like antelope. I don't know. In my mind, it's going to be antelope. You can eat it. What's the rule? Only you shall not eat the blood. Why shouldn't they eat the blood? The blood was set apart. Why was the blood set apart? Because the life is in the blood. Whose life? Everybody's life. Jesus' blood brings life. And the Bible sets the blood apart so that the blood would always be thought of as holy. So that their eyes will be focused on the reality. The blood of the sacrifice is a holy thing. So you will not eat the blood, but pour it out on the earth like water. You may, you may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain, or your new wine, or your oil, or your firstborn, or your herds, or your flock, or of any of your offerings which you have vowed, or your free will offerings, or the heave offering your hand. Oh my gosh, Jackie, this is the dumbest stuff I ever heard in my life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you don't get to just decide how you're going to give your offerings to the Lord. These are offerings that God says, this is what I expect you to give. And he laid it out for the nation of Israel. He said, when you give it, you bring it to my house and you give it to me the way I'm telling you to give it to me. You don't just say, you know, I think I'm going to do it this way. Here's my tithe, Lord. I'm going to eat it at home. God says, that's not a tithe. Bring it to me. 
Bring it to the Lord. That's what he's laying out here. Guys, you don't just do your offering any way you want to. You don't give yourself. You don't serve. You don't do all these things. You do it the way God prescribes. You do it to the place where God prescribes it to be done. In verse 18, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, everyone who is with you, the Levite who is within your gates, and you will rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. Remember the Levite? How much land did he get? None. He got nothing. Who was his provision? The Lord, right? I'm your inheritance, God said. What a great picture of us, right? For we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. Just like the tribe of Levi, their provision was God. God was to be their focus. But what did the Lord say about the people who had land? Don't forget about the Levite. He lives in your gates. Take care of him. Make sure that he's taken care of. Because he's there to focus on the Lord. He goes on. When the Lord your God enlarges your border, what did that say? Verse 20, first word, what's it say? Did it say if? When the Lord your God enlarges your border as he promised you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Do you know that nowhere in the Bible does it say that about vegetables? <laughs> Just saying. Doesn't say you can have as much broccoli as you want. It says if you want meat, eat meat. You want a lot of meat, eat a lot of meat. That's where I get all my vegetables from meat because it ate vegetables. That's close enough. Eat. This is I'm putting this on my fridge. I am putting it on my fridge. You may eat as much meat as your heart desires. Do you hear that, hon? This is being recorded. I'll play it for you later. Eat as much meat as you desire. If the place where the Lord, your God, chooses to put his name is too far away from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded to you, and you may eat it within your gates as much as your heart desires. God says, listen, if it's a long ways away for you to go and take you know, the daily uh, sacrifices, that's fine. You do those things. But listen, you do it just like the gazelle and the deer are eaten. You can eat, you can slaughter for food. But when you're offering something unto the Lord, you need to come to my house. When you're offering something to the Lord, you need to come to my house. What are you saying? Just as the gazelle and deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The unclean and the clean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. Over and over and over again, he says this. 2,000 years before George Washington was bled to death, because we, in our infinite wisdom, didn't acknowledge what the Word of God said. The Word of God said, where's the life? In the blood. Do we know that today? Amazing, huh? Amazing. Of course, the greatest minds in the world didn't know that at that time, and we bled our president to death. Life is where? In the blood. Life is in the blood. The word of God declares it. 
It is true. He wants us to, to set aside the sanctity of the blood. You will not eat it. You will pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you. When you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. You notice it didn't say when you say what is right in the sight of the Lord. It will go well with you and your children after you when you do. Our kids tell the difference between what's real and what's not real in our lives. But if you live your life any old way you want, seven days a week, you're just focused on self. And one time you set aside a tradition, they're going to see it's tradition. It ain't real and it ain't going to be real for them. It's when you do. When they see the Lord is important to you. When they see you love the Lord your God. When they see, not that you are perfect and you keep all the commandments. When they see it as reality in your life, it will be a reality for them. If they don't see it, it won't be. And that's a charge God lays out for us. When you do, when you do, not what you say, when you do. Only the holy things which you have in your vowed offerings, these you will take to go to the place which the Lord chooses. The holy things. Your offerings go to the Lord. By the way, your offerings go to Him. They go to the Lord. They don't go to the church. Your offerings go to the Lord. A lot of people have a hard time with that. Hey, once a year, in fact, we're, we're going to be coming up to our yearly a church meeting where we open up the books and folks can see where where offerings have gone and what things have been bought and what things. Have, but when you give to the Lord, God says, "You give it to me." I remember one time I was walking into a to a, a, a restaurant and there was a homeless guy outside. And as I was walking by the homeless guy, it was a time when Kathy and my life where we were doing okay. <clears throat> I had a really killer job and. And, uh, you know, we were living in a, a land flowing with milk and honey at the time, man. We just had money coming right and left. And I just very distinctly heard God say, give him. So I walked by, reached in my pocket, pulled out 20 bucks, put it in his hand, said, God bless you. And Kathy said, what are you doing? Do you know he's just going to go buy drugs or he's going to get drunk or he's going to get wasted? He's going to take that money and waste it. That was just money thrown away. But I said, but I didn't give it to him. I gave it to the Lord. And I'm not worrying about it another minute. It's God's money. He take God's money and do what he wants to with God's money. But that's God's money. He'll give account to God. It's his. When we give, that should be our attitude. If we give with strings attached, if we give thinking, well, I'm going to give as long as this goes for that or that, or the God says it's not an offering. When you give to me, he says, you're going to give it to the place. You're going to come to my place and you're going to give it to the Lord. It's his. It's God's. I'll hold man accountable to be right with what is God's, but it's not mine. It's God's. And God's going to use it. God's going to take it and make it what it ought to be for him. 
only the holy things go to the place which the Lord chooses, right? And you will offer your burnt offerings and meat, your blood on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifice will be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you will eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children with you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in the land, take heed to yourself. Listen that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You will not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Moses said, before you guys get there, before you go, don't do what they do. Protect yourself. Wipe out all those things. I would never do that. I will never do that. I remember standing in school when I was going through public school and I remember sitting in English class and the teacher, we drove our teacher crazy and she would say, I I get an assignment for you. Here's your assignment. I want you to write a paper. I wrote this paper. I wrote a paper on just the the horrible realities of of abortion and, and, and how bad it is. And I was so filled with youth youthful zeal and i would say that'll never be me i'll never do that i would never ever do the things that these people have done listen if you don't remove the altars and those idols and those things and you find yourself all of a sudden inquiring after what they did. And don't think that you... Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed. What? Lest he fall. Not just once. Twice. Two times I did what I said... I will never do that. I would never, ever, ever do that. It's not possible. It doesn't even, it's not even in a realm of possibility. It's not in a realm of my thinking. Yeah, you will. It's what Moses is saying to the people. I would never do that. And then one day... I look around and say, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? How did I get in this place where where I am the one making the choice and I am offering my child up to the God Molech? I sacrifice my babies twice because They're not really very convenient right now. Oh, you see, the god Molech, he was the god of prosperity and the god of, that they would have all the stuff that they need. It, it was about an agricultural society, so Molech was the wife of Baal. 
Baal was a God who gave the rain. But Molech was a way to get to Baal. She'd tell him what to do. I'll give him my children. And that way I will prosper financially. Doesn't fit right now. I can make it go away. You know, at the time when they worshipped Molech, they had guys with big drums and they'd beat on them drums so you couldn't hear the cry of the children. But now, you don't have to hear the cry. We're so good at it now, we burn them in the womb. So disconnected, it's, it's almost like, eh, it's, it's, it's not really even a baby. Moses said, tear down those high places. Tear them down. Don't compromise because you might think you're going to be okay and then you'll find out that you're not. 1 Kings 11.7 Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is right before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. Wait a minute. Who built it? Then Solomon built it. What else did Solomon build? The temple, the place for the Lord. In fact, he was appointed by God to build that place. And God said, Solomon... Don't multiply for yourself horses. And don't multiply for yourself gold. And don't multiply what? Wives. Because they will turn your heart away from me. The Lord said, Solomon, don't do these things. Tear down the, the strongholds in your life. Stay focused after me. Love the Lord your God. But he turned that love away from the Lord his God. And he began to love other things, gold and horses and women. And the next thing you know, the same guy who built the temple built a place for Molech just outside of Jerusalem. Well, you can still see it today. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus called it Gehenna. The Kings goes on. Second Kings 16.3. King Ahaz now is king. It says, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, yea, and he made his son. Are you listening? And he made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen which the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. That's the king of Israel. Ahaz, the king of Israel. Moses said, guys, tear down the high places, take care, make sure that your heart is focused on me, that you love me. But you see, they'd allow their heart to drift. Oh, but look at what these other guys are doing. Look at what they have. Look at the way they're doing things. And the next thing you know, it didn't start that way, guys. I didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what? I think I'm going to go out today and pay for an abortion. I didn't start that way. It all starts with this little compromise that says, yeah, you know what? What's the big deal? You know, I'm just going to go hang out with my friends and drink. I'm just going to, I mean, it's a little thing, right? A Bible doesn't say there's something wrong with drinking, does it? 
And then pretty soon, drink was enough. Then it was drunk. Then drunk was enough. Then wife's not enough. Then girlfriend's not enough. Then the next thing I know, world is spinning out of control. Why? Because I didn't tear down the high places God told me to tear down. I didn't tear down the high places God told me to tear down. And just like the nation of Israel, I caused my daughters to pass through the fire. See, I remember one time my my third son was born and Kathy and I prayed and prayed and prayed, God, give us a girl. Now, I'd have kept having kids, but I was more afraid of four boys than I was wanting a girl. And I remember going outside my house and I was, I was kind of bummed with God, to be honest. You know, I was bummed with God and I went out and I sat out there in that place and said, God, why, 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 why didn't I have a girl? And it was one of those times that I could hear, I mean, like I could hear God speaking to me. And all he said was, you did. I might have to wait. The things we think I'm never going to do. You better tear down the high places. You better not play with them things that you know God is telling you to cut out. Better not do it. I've been there. It's not a great place to be. Great news is, God forgives them. The Lord tells his people, if you'll return to me, if you'll return to me, I'll give you back the years that the locusts ate. We don't get everything else. I don't get those decisions back. And I got I to gotta live with those. That's okay. I know God loves me. I know he's able. I know that he forgives a repentant heart. But I sure wish I could go tear down those high places and say, man, I'm not going to let that be in my life. Just a little thing, man. Just starts with a little step. Just a little thing. Ah, you know, I I just don't want to go to church. I want to worship God in my own way. The next thing you know, guys, I'm not lying to you. One little step is all it takes. And then then it's another little step. And then it's a whole bunch of steps. And next thing you know, you're saying, how did I get here? How did I get to this place? One of the greatest crimes of the northern tribe, 2 Kings 17, 17. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Do you think when the children of Israel were crossing the Jordan, they said, you know, in a few years we're going to be sacrificing our children. Do you think that's what they were thinking? But God said, tear them down. Don't compromise 
Stay focused on obeying the law? No, stay focused on what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Don't start loving something else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you'll be okay. I heard a great Bible teacher one time say, you want to know how to do God's will? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and do whatever you want. Because if you're loving the Lord your God, what you want is going to be what God's directing in your life. Just love me, God said. Just love me. Just love me. King Manasseh, king of Judah, from 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was, was Hephseba. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen, which the Lord had cast out uh, from the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah, his father, destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, uh, will I put my name. And he built altars for the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. That's the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. He put altars in there. Verse 6. And he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with the familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord. The reason I share about Manasseh is because there's something else about Manasseh too. In the end, Manasseh returns to the Lord and God forgives him. Makes him right. What do we see in that? We see a picture of the grace of God and the touch of Jesus Christ in our life which redeems every bad, dumb, stupid thing we ever did is redeemed in Christ. In Christ, it's going to be made right. In Christ, it's going to have value. Even the dumb stuff. In Christ. Man, it all makes sense in Christ. We want to be in that place. In Christ. Up until the days of King Josiah of Judah, Molech worship continued. But then Josiah tore it down. Here's why I tell you about Josiah. He defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter to pass through the fire to Molech. In the valley of Hinnom comes all the way around to Josiah. But it started with who? With Solomon. A Solomon. Because he didn't tear down the places. What did Moses say in Deuteronomy? Take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them. After they are destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. You will not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods, for they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire. I'm sure when Moses said this to the kids who are getting ready to go into the promised land, they all thought like I did. 
I'd never do that. I will never do that. I remember hearing from guys that have heard my testimony about the things Kathy and I went through early in our marriage. And, and I've heard people say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all good, Jackie, but I'll never do that. Whew, brother, you better take heed. The Bible said, let him who thinks he stands take heed. You really think you're beyond falling? You really think that sin could never be named among you? Man. Praise God that the Lord tells us that we're to restore one another with a spirit of meekness and gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also fall. God wants us to realize, man, there's a depth to the wickedness in our heart that we don't even know ourselves, but he knows it. And he says, and I'm telling you because I know how you're made. Tear down every high place. Cast aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you and run with endurance the race that is laid before you. Don't play with it. Cast it aside. Cast it aside. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Verse 32, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. And you shall not, what? Add to it or? Sound familiar? Seems like we read that in the last book of the Bible too, don't we? Don't add to the words of this prophecy or take away from the words of this prophecy or the plagues in this book will be added unto you. Don't add to what God says or take away from what God says. Hey, I don't like everything God says, but everything that God says is absolute truth. Yeah, the word, the world today will say, you know, there's no thing as absolute truth. You can't say something is absolutely true. Hogwash. Watch. The word of God is absolute truth. I just said it. In fact, saying that there's no such thing as absolute truth is in itself absolute truth. How can you say that? I don't believe in absolute truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. That's an absolute statement. The word of God is absolutely, utterly, totally, completely true. But Jackie, that word of God says I'm a sinner, that I'm filthy, that I can't have a right relationship with God. Bingo. Not only does it say that, it also says that if you will receive him to you, if you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, to you he will give the power to become what? Sons of God. Man, that's pretty powerful. In Jesus Christ, all things turn around. When Moses is laying this out for the young people, man, he wants them here. Don't play with it, guys. They played with it. They failed. Some were forgiven. Others never repented. We do the same thing. Hear what the word says. Don't play with it. Tear it down. 
Tear down those high places. No compromise. Hear what God's speaking to your heart. The things God's telling you to do. The things God's saying for you. Clean this up. And whatever that is, that God's, then do it. Clean it up. Don't play with it. Just do it. I don't like it. Don't have to like it. In fact, I would be surprised if you did like it because our heart and our bent is toward evil. Not good. It's not surprising. Just focus on one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you'll be okay. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time we come before you. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be at your feet. To say, God, would you move in my life? Lord, I want you to to expand my territories. I want more of you. I, I, I don't want to just be satisfied with status quo. I want more than the religion of my fathers. I want more than the traditions of the men who went before me. I want the real. I want the, the truth, the, the life that you promised, Lord. And, and that's found in you. And, and you tell me I can, I can have that. I just got to believe. I just got to receive. I got to love the Lord my God with all my heart. And anything in my life that would exalt itself against you needs to be gone. And your warning to us is simply, if you don't do it, you won't believe what you could do. Cling to me, the Lord says. Serve me, the Lord says. Love me. God, make us your people. Make us willing to cast anything in the way aside. Father, may we chase after you in a desire that says, I want the real, man. I want, I want what the word says. I don't, I don't want to feel like what, what I hear in church. I, I want it. I want the real. I want, I want the reality of Jesus Christ in me, the hope of glory. The reality of it. Father, by your spirit, move among your people, Lord God. And we just pray, Father, you give us eyes to see. Ears to hear and a spirit willing to do the things you are directing us to do. To cast aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares me. And run with endurance the race that is before me. Run it to win. Don't just play. Be real. By your spirit, guide us, Lord, lead us, show us. And give us what we need to cast it aside and to make you central in our lives. And we give you all the praise and the glory, Lord, for what 
you are doing among us and what you have done and what you continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of worship. We invite you to hang out and worship with us. We got goodies. We are.